it is, um, it's amazing to think how much uh, the world has changed, you know, like when, when we think about that, and not, not, just, not just over the centuries, although that's, that's a remarkable thing to think about, not even just over the decades or even the years, but think about how much our world has changed in just a matter of months. I mean, we're, we're grocery shopping. For many of us, grocery shopping has turned into Instacarting. You know, that, that's how we, we get our groceries now. For, for many people, uh, our commute is walking downstairs. You know, uh, for, for many people, like getting ready for school nowadays is finding a mask that doesn't smell so god-awful that, like, you don't have friends anymore. Like, like we all, like, our world has changed. I mean, we think about even home fitness. Home fitness is better described by this meme than it is by any piece of gym equipment in our home. But yeah, I'm into fitness. Fitness whole taco in my mouth. Uh, that, that's, that's, a, that's a program I can sign up for. But, yeah, but in all seriousness, like, when we think about how much our world has changed, it is quite remarkable. But, but it's not just our world that has changed. We have changed as a people, as a culture, as a society. And, and not just on kind of superficial levels. We have changed on very deep levels. We, we've changed morally. We've changed spiritually, existentially as a culture. We're asking questions of, 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 of like who we are, of our identity and our purpose. Many people in our day, we feel overwhelmed and confused, disillusioned and lost. It is hard to make sense of the world that we inhabit in many ways. And this is true both inside the church and outside the church. I think people within the church are asking the question, is the church standing for truth? What, what is true anymore? Who is the church supposed to be? What is the church supposed to be doing? Where is the church going? And again, we're asking this question about our own lives individually, but also of the church. And friends, while many things have changed in our world, even, even in us and around us, there, there is one thing that hasn't changed, and that is the mission that Jesus has summoned his church to. It is an unchanging mission in the world around us that is constantly changing. And, and to that end, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word as we hear Jesus' words from the Great Commission in Matthew 28. I invite you to stand for these words. As we think about our constantly changing world, may we as the church find comfort in this unchanging mission that Jesus has called us to. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16 through verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching to them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if you are, uh, if you are new to Christ's community, um, one, one thing that we do periodically, kind of once a year, is across campuses, we, we take a moment to kind of speak about who we are as a church, our identity, and also our mission, what we've been called to together, our collective identity, and our collective shared mission. And, and, and this morning, what I want us to look at and see in these timeless words of Jesus is this. That Jesus has given us an unchanging mission for our ever-changing world. Jesus has given us an unchanging mission for our ever-changing world. As we find ourselves in this present moment uh, where things are changing all around us, as we look to the future uh, of great uncertainty, 
I believe the church uniquely in this time should look back at the Great Commission that forms and shapes who we are and what we are called to do. Yes, there are many things that, that we should seek to kind of innovate around and be creative in our methodologies of how we are faithful to our current moment, but we must be careful to guard against a drift away from the central message and mission that Jesus has given us. And so this, this message, this is not a visionary message that, that like how, what we're telling you, like this is where we are going to take you as a church. Rather, this message is about reminding ourselves, it's holding up a mirror, so to speak, to say who we are and what we are called to do. And that has not changed. And so it's important for us, again, as we look into the uncertainty of our, of our future, to look back at the great commission that Jesus has called us to. And in fact, in, in his great book, Built to Last, Jim Collins, he, he talks about various businesses and corporations that have kind of thrived and endured over time. And while I don't believe the church is a business by any means, uh, I think that there is a, a wise word that Collins says for the church to be reminded of today. He says this, it is better to understand who you are than where you are going, for where you are going will almost certainly change. That is absolutely true. And so as we think about what it means to be the faithful and fruitful church of Jesus Christ in our world, so much changes, but what can't change, and indeed doesn't change truly, is who the church is and what the church has been called to do. And as we think about uh, this for our own specific church of Christ community, from the very beginning of, of our church planted over 30 years ago, the, the, the driving mission uh, has been the same since, that we desire to be a caring family of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ. This is who we have been and what we have been called to do. This has been fundamental to our identity and to our mission. And so as we consider our unchanging mission in our ever-changing world, I want us to hear these timeless words of Jesus. And the, the first thing I want us to bring our attention to is this, is who is in control doesn't change. While so much changes... The first thing we see in Jesus' words is that who is in control doesn't change. These are the last recorded words that, that, of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. And in it, what we see is that Jesus, as he's preparing his disciples to launch the greatest, most impactful, influential movement in human history, he begins not by telling them what they should do or even who they are, but first and foremost, who he is. And Jesus unquestionably declares himself to be the king of all authority over heaven and earth. Look with me again at verses eight, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so, so this declaration that all authority, it's the first of three all statements that Jesus makes in the Great Commission. And he is being, he's being rather clear the unquestionable authority that Jesus has is over all things. There is no God above him. There is no king above him. He is supreme and unrivaled in his authority over all things. And so when we think about the mission that we have been called to as a church, we, we are called to this mission, and this calling is not rooted in our identity, in our authority, in our strategizing, but rather in the unrivaled authority of King Jesus. And so part of what this means, church, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you don't simply believe in or agree with or listen to Jesus. All those things are true, but fundamentally to be a follower of Jesus is to recognize him as the king of all authority over all of life. 
that there is no square inch in the universe that Jesus doesn't say, this is mine. There is all authority given to Jesus, and to surrender and submit to him as king is fundamentally what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a part of his church. And Jesus is not merely presenting himself here as as an influencer, as a great teacher, as a supreme prophet, although he is all these things to the supreme degree. He is first and foremost the matchless king who is in control of all heaven and earth. And if we fail to grasp this authority of Jesus, not only will we have a distorted view of him, but we will have a distorted view of what it means to be called to his mission, what it means to be the church. We will also have a diminished and diluted confidence and comfort in the fact that we've been called as the church, the called out ones and sent ones with this mission. The surrender to Jesus' ultimate authority actually empowers and comforts us. We are sent on mission not by our own authority, but by Christ's authority over all things. And that does bring a proper confidence and comfort. In fact, I was reminded of uh, several years ago, um, myself and some team members of our church visited Rwanda. We went and spent some time with Bishop Sam Mugisha of the Shira Diocese, our global outreach partner. And I remember as we were traveling, we were in some spaces that like we could not have just gone by ourselves. We, we were able to enter into some of these communities and places and have comfort, uh, confidence and comfort because we were there on behalf of the authority of Bishop Sam. And so, so I had a confidence and comfort in the spaces I was navigating and the conversations I was having with people, not because of my authority, but because I was there on behalf of the authority of another. In the same way as followers of Jesus of the church, as we go on mission, proclaiming the fullness of the gospel, we go as people with a confidence rooted in the authoritative power of Jesus, but we also go with a comfort in the authoritative presence of Jesus. That's where Jesus is beginning here. That while so much has changed around us, the one thing that doesn't change that he begins with is who is in control. And we can take hope in the fact that King Jesus, his control and authority will never change. And that is the foundation, the locomotive, if you will, of what fuels our mission as we move forward. But as as Jesus continues, we see that not only, not only is the reality of his authority something that doesn't change, the second thing we see is who we are for doesn't change. The authority and control of Jesus doesn't change, but what we also see as Jesus introduces us to the second all statement in verse 19, we see that who we are for doesn't change. Look at verse 19. Go, therefore, so in light of my authority and the fact that there is no one above me in terms of authority, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, that, that word nations, it's, it's the Greek word ethnos, which is where we get our, our word ethnic or ethnicity. And, and oftentimes in the New Testament, this word ethnos is translated as Gentile. And and Gentiles is kind of a general term used in scriptures to refer to anyone who is not a part of the covenantal people of Israel, which for for many of us, that's that's us. We, We are the Gentiles. We are the outsiders that have been brought in to the forever family of God. We are the ones who have been adopted and brought into God's forever family. And so what we see is that Jesus is showing this wide scope mission and vision that in some ways Israel had lost sight of. Israel had gotten so wrapped up in their own national identity and seeing themselves as favored 
and really missing that the beginning of the call to be the covenantal people of God was to be a blessing to all nations. And Jesus reiterates that here, that his people are called and sent with a a message and a mission to draw to Christ a people from all peoples. And in fact, Matthew, this is, oh, I love this, this is so fascinating. Matthew's gospel, what, what Matthew's kind of, his focus and aim in his gospel is trying to show how Jesus is the, the reigning and rightful king over all creation. And how he is the promised and predicted Messiah declared in the Old Testament. That's kind of Matthew's focus. And Matthew bookends his gospel. He opens it up in chapter 1, verse 1, and he ends with the same idea that the mission of God through Jesus is to bring a people unto himself from all peoples. Matthew 1.1 opens this way, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, so you see the royalty, the authority of Jesus, and the son of Abraham. And who is Abraham? He is the one who is told by God, through you will be the blessing to all nations. And then Matthew ends his gospel with the words of Jesus, go therefore unto all the nations, making disciples. And so what we see here is that when when we step back and read Matthew together in light of the whole story of Scripture, God's plan from the beginning was to make a people for himself, composed of all the peoples of the world. Jesus is the royal king who is fulfilling the promise to Abraham that through him all the nations, all the ethnicities, all the cultures would be blessed. And part of what this means is that the aim of God's mission in the world from the beginning was to call and create a people for himself composed of all people of the earth. The church of Jesus Christ as a global people and expressed within local communities is to be a people who are a representation of the peoples of the world. In fact, theologian J. Daniel Hayes, he articulates this scope of Christ's mission in his phenomenal book, From Every People and Nation. He says this, God's intention is for his people to be multi-ethnic and multicultural, but yet united in their fellowship and their worship of him. You see how this is a different emphasis from maybe the cultural language that we hear in, in our culture today around diversity for diversity's sake. There is an image that we see, a vision that we see in the Great Commission of making a people of all peoples. And so as we step back and consider who we are called to be as a church and what the mission of the people of Jesus have been given, we are are called, we should see one thing that should be clear in this, is that the church of Jesus Christ should be a people who are seeking a kind of kingdom diversity that is so different from the hollow and very truncated version of diversity that our culture tends to talk about. And again, that word diversity is a triggering word in our culture. It's been hijacked in many ways. It's it's kind of this hollow term that people use uh, to pursue diversity for for optics or for tokenism. But but in some settings, uh, this conversation of diversity is kind of, it's a divisive topic because it's rooted in some kind of progressive ideology, as people might think. But for the people of Jesus... We have to understand that, that diversity, as, as God has created, is, that's his idea. That is not our culture's idea. And we think about what it means to be the people of Jesus, the work of proclaiming the gospel for all peoples in order to become a people of all peoples. This is central to the heart of God. It is central to the message of the gospel. And it is central to the mission of the church. This has been the message from the beginning, that God's desire is to make a people of all peoples. 
The church is not called to diversity for diversity's sake. That is a hollow narrative in our culture. Rather, the church is called to be a people of all peoples for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the glory of Jesus. That's a different picture. In fact, uh, Trillia Newbell, in, in her contribution in a really helpful book called The Gospel and Racial Reconciliation, she says this. She says, knowing others who are not like you is one way to display to the world that we are unified in Christ through the gospel. It serves as a powerful picture of the transforming work of the gospel. Do you see how this is a different motivation and vision for seeking a diversity than just kind of having the optics and the tokenism of having different people in the same place? There is something about seeking a gospel-infused kingdom vision of diversity that is a display of what the gospel does, namely in bringing together people who aren't naturally meant to be together. Being reconciled to God and being reconciled to one another. And so part of what this means is that when we, when we passively settle, or even worse, actively desire to remain in homogenous communities, we are missing the fullness of the mission of Jesus. The wide scope of what it means to call a people unto himself from all peoples. And we run the risk of falling into the trap of thinking that our culture or our ethnicity or our nation of any kind, and this is true around the world, this is not a message to America in particular, but we run the risk of believing that a particular culture or ethnicity or nation is normative or favored or superior. And when we understand the wide scope of the mission of God, it transforms our understanding of culture, of nations, of ethnicities. There is no normative ethnicity. There is no normative culture or nation that is more blessed and favored by God. Because Jesus' words to his church is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. But when we settle, church, when we settle for, or at worst, desire and seek out a kind of mono-ethnic life, that can be a rather dangerous thing because it is antithetical to the mission that Jesus has called us to. Which, and, and so th this is a, a big reason why, as a church... We're committed to the multiplication of churches around the world. There's a reason why reading the Apostles' Creed, as we did in our service, we're trying to remind ourselves that we are not the only Christians that have existed in history. But we are joining a beautiful chorus of voices that have declared the Apostles' Creed, the Great Commission, in various languages throughout time. We join that beautiful choir. I love that we are committed to the, church, to the multiplication of churches in Rwanda and Iran, and Kenya, and Germany, and China. But it's also why, as a church, we believe that the work of pursuing a kingdom-minded diversity is not merely an intrinsic good, because it's rooted to the mission of God, but it is an extrinsic good, because it allows us, it allows us to have an ability to see the beauty and the fullness of the gospel, and, and, and aspects of the Christian life in ways that we couldn't if we just remained within our own cultural context. I'll, I'll share an example of this. One um, from my own life. My, my friend Brian and I, so Brian Goins uh, was a minister at a Christian Fellowship Baptist Church, uh, which is a, one of our sister churches of Christ community for, for several years. And Brian and I have been friends for well over a decade. We have fought together. We have cried together. We've laughed at each other and with each other. Um, but one of the things that Brian has significantly done in my life as a follower of Jesus is the way in which he's given me a, a kind of a functional theology of the body of Christ. It, because, you know, I mean, in, in Brian, Brian, in his kind of 
perspective and culture. He's a much more, he has much more of a communal understanding of relationships. I tend to operate in a very individualistic way of thinking about relationships. And one of the things that has been so beautiful about Brian is the way in which he has given me this wider scope view of what it means to be the people of God who weep with those who weep, who rejoice with those who rejoice. By simply being with Brian, I've learned to see this wide-angle lens of the body of Christ. And it's brought meaning to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Friends, we all have blind spots. Regardless of your culture, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of your backgrounds, we all have blind spots, be they cultural, moral, or even theological. And one of the beautiful gifts of seeking to live into the the design of the diverse body of Christ that we see throughout Scripture, but also in the Great Commission, is that we are afforded the opportunity to see those blind spots and to be enriched by one another. And so when we think about what Jesus has called us to as a church, what we see is that one of the things that hasn't changed is that he is in control. But the second thing that doesn't change is who we are for. And again, when we settle for a very hollow way of talking about diversity, the way in which our culture does, we are missing out on God's vision and heart for bringing redemption and restoration to this world. And so who's in control doesn't change. Who we are for doesn't change. But thirdly, how we follow doesn't change. And this is something that I think we do need to give careful attention to. This is not an innovative message about how to follow Jesus in the 21st century, but we have to be reminded of what it means to be a disciple. Our mission as a church is about multiplying disciples, and, and we try to be really clear on what that means. To be a disciple is to be one who is seeking to influence our community and our world for Jesus Christ. This is because the work of multiplying disciples is not about making converts. We so often settle for the work of making disciples as really just kind of getting people to join our Christian club, of kind of sealing the deal, the ABCs of evangelism, always be converting, you know, like that's kind of how we think about what evangelism is. But what we see in the scriptures and what Jesus is calling us to is to make disciples. And being a disciple and making disciples is about inviting others to join us in our apprenticeship to Jesus in our whole life surrender in joy to him as we seek to observe all that he has commanded. Here's the third all statement that Jesus makes. All authority has been given to me under heaven and earth. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded them. Now, there are two commands here that Jesus gives. Go and make disciples. And and the the second command is elevated above the first, but but they are meant to be seen as going hand in hand. There is absolutely this aspect of, of being actively dislocated as followers of Jesus going towards people who are not disciples of Jesus. But sometimes we hear that go and make disciples and it means I have to cross Uh, I have to cross a continent. I have to cross a a, a sea in order to do that. And that may be a part of how we do that, absolutely. But that doesn't necessarily, that's not the only way we go and make disciples. It may mean crossing a sea, but it might just mean crossing the street. It might mean crossing a socioeconomic barrier in bringing the gospel to all peoples. I mean, this is why as a church, we, we love using this language of being a church for Monday. We, we are absolutely committed to the work of being a church gathered, 
But as we leave, we become the church scattered as ambassadors of the kingdom of Jesus in our places of work, our vocations, our places of influence. We go representing Jesus and his gospel to the world in hopes that others might join us in this mission of seeing all things made new. Because my job, our job as a church staff team is to equip you to do your work in such a way that points people to the beauty and the goodness of the, of the good news of Jesus and his gospel. To see yourself as ambassadors of the king wherever you are placed. But my, my concern is that there has been such a diluted and kind of truncated version of what it means to make disciples. That we've settled for this idea that it's just about saving souls and making converts just so that they, they can go to heaven. And while that is part of the story, that's not the fullness of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In, in this sense, the church becomes like Las Vegas wedding officiants. You know what I'm talking about? Like I, I read recently, there are over 300 weddings performed in Las Vegas on the Las Vegas Strip every day. And so when we kind of operate in this idea of, like, of just like evangelism and discipleship is just about making converts, it, it, it's like a Las Vegas wedding officiant. They're not interested in making long-lasting marriages that are thriving and flourishing. They just want to get as many weddings done as possible. But the church of Jesus Christ has been given an unchanging mission to make disciples that observe all that Jesus has commanded. Referring to this very hollow version of discipleship, Dallas Willard, uh, the late Dallas Willard, so beautifully and very kind of strangely and convictingly has these words for us. He says this, this heresy referring to this idea that like you can, like being a disciple of Jesus is just about being a convert and, ha and having no transformation to your life. He says, this heresy has created the impression that it is quite reasonable to be a vampire Christian. One, in effect, says to Jesus, I'd, I'd like a little of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life and I'll see you in heaven? But is this really acceptable to Jesus? Now hear me, church. That's not the same as saying, therefore, to be a good Christian, you have to do everything that Jesus says. That's not. That is not discipleship. We do not observe all that Jesus has commanded in order to be accepted by God and brought into his family. That is the reverse order. That is a heresy and a lie from the pit of hell but rather our obedience and our observation of Jesus' commands and teachings flow from the fact that by God's grace, not by our merit, we have been adopted as sons and daughters in his forever family. Amen? When we understand that order, we, it transforms the way in which we understand salvation and grace. It transforms the way in which we think about obedience. We are not obedient in order to be accepted, but rather we are obedient because we have been accepted. And the mission of the church, so when we understand this, that the wide scope picture of what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, it means to live as though he has all authority. It means to live in such a way that we believe that he desires to make a people from all peoples. And he has called us to observe all his commands for our good. The mission of the local church is not about attracting attenders. It is about activating apprentices. I'm going to say that one more time for the people in the back. Okay, hey, listen to this. The mission of the church is not about attracting attenders. It is about activating apprentices. And let me say, if you are here, if you, if you just kind of enjoy attending church and you enjoy being a part of this community, I'm glad you're here. 
but I, I, I want to be very clear. My hope and desire is that you would not simply be a Sunday attender, but an active apprentice of Jesus seeking to live for him and before him in all of life. For your good and for the good of your neighbors and the glory of King Jesus. And so church, as we reflect on the unchanging mission that Jesus has given us for our ever-changing world, we must embrace the, the, the full picture, the full robust, wide-scope mission of what Christ is accomplishing in this world. And it is no less than surrendering to King Jesus, who has all, all authority. It is no less than seeing the gospel as the good news of God, reconciling all peoples to himself through Christ Jesus, as well as reconciling them to one another. It is no less than seeing our mission as making disciples who follow Jesus in all of life in order to bring renewal to all of creation. In his phenomenal book, Seek First, uh, theologian Jeremy Treat describes how we've kind of lessened, the, the, uh, kind of uh, diminished the view of what God's mission is in the world. So he says this, many Christians today think of salvation as leaving earth for heaven, but the story of scripture is quite opposite. The message of the kingdom of God is not an escape from earth to heaven, but God's reign coming down from heaven to earth. The focus of God's reign is his people, but the scope of God's reign is all of creation. There is no sacred secular divide. The mission we have been called to is not a part of our lives. This is not a hobby. This is not a religion. It's not a facet of our lives. It is an all-of-life worldwide movement of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, who is our only hope in life and death, and whose kingdom has broken in and one day will forever reign, bringing together heaven and earth once again. That is our mission. That is our hope. And so churches, we think about this unchanging mission in our, in our ever-changing world. I want to share something that I, we're really excited about to explore in this upcoming year. It's something that we are calling 90 squared for 9. And, and really what it means is that we want to spend, together as a church across our campuses, for, in, in our city, we want to spend 90 days together, spending 90 seconds a day, praying for nine people in our lives who don't know Jesus. 90, 90 days, 90 seconds a day, praying for nine people who do not know Jesus, that they might come to see him as their only hope in life and death. And be a part of his forever family and joining his mission of seeking the restoration of all things in this world. And so we'll, we'll share more information as we get closer to, to January and the start of the year. But we are hopeful that this will be a means by which God draws many people to himself who are far from him. People who we do not yet know. People in your, in your homes, your schools, your communities, your places of work who would come to find Jesus as their only hope. Because we believe that the local church as God has designed it is the hope of the world because we've been entrusted with the message of hope, namely the gospel. And it is our desire for this good news to be spread so that fullness of life and joy can be found. And, and just, I mean, just, just think about it. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are here because someone was faithful and obedient to Jesus. You are here because someone shared the good news of Christ with you. You are here because someone prayed for you. And the Holy Spirit awakened your eyes to see that you're a dead sinner and your only hope is Jesus Christ. That is a gift, y'all. And it's a gift that I want us to share and to spread, not so that we can have more converts, but so that we might see the glory of God covering the face of the earth as the waters cover the sea. Because the glory of God is man fully alive, humanity fully alive, 
in the Lord Jesus. We do not merely exist for ourselves, but we exist for those outside these walls. We exist for the complete and holistic flourishing of our neighbors. This is our mission as a church. This is who Jesus has called us to be and what he has called us to do. It is an unchanging mission for our ever-changing world. But the thing that encourages me and empowers me even more than being on mission with you all whom I love, it's the last thing that doesn't change. Who is with us doesn't change. Did you notice that how Jesus ends his great commission, he doesn't end with the word do. He ends it with the word with. Look with me at verse 20. Teaching all to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Churches, we go on mission together. We go yoked to Jesus, the one who has promised to never leave or forsake us. The one whose authoritative power as the resurrected king calls us. And the one whose authoritative presence with his church comforts us. Church, we live in a world that is always changing, but thanks be to Jesus that he has given us a message and a truth that doesn't change and a mission that doesn't change. This is our king. This is our hope. This is our mission. And as we go, may we be reminded that Jesus is with us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the promise to Father Abraham that through him would come the promised Messiah who would be the blessing to all nations. The one who we are the recipient of, of the one who we have come to be blessed by. And Lord, I rejoice in the gift that you have made dead sinners alive in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I long to see our church, our family, being a people who live as apprentices, surrendering to the full authority of Jesus in all of life, so that we might go forth and be your ambassadors of your kingdom, seeking the, the restoration and the shalom, the peace, the flourishing of all creation, so that others might know and see and behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, would you use us as a church to be sent out from this place to be a people seeking to proclaim the good news of Jesus, living and demonstrating the life of the kingdom that is our hope now and forever. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.